And so I'd kind of go back to like, what's the goal? Is it to learn to program from an iPhone app? Cause then it doesn't really matter when you start selling it. Um, but I will say that the sooner you start selling it, um, the better feedback you'll get and the more you'll learn. Welcome to Design Life, a show about design and side projects for motivated creatives. My name is Charlie, and my regular co-host Femke is away in the US at the moment. And so I have a very special guest with me. I did what any normal person would do when their co-host isn't around, and just invited my boss to be on the show. <laughs> so welcome to Nathan. Nathan Barry is a designer. He's also the CEO and founder of ConvertKit, which is the company that I work at. So Nathan, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Seems like uh, I've been on a few. Uh, I think I've been, now this will be that I've been on every podcast run by team members at ConvertKit. So Excellent. This is good. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about making money from side projects because Nathan is really good at that. And it's something that I've really only dabbled in. So we're, I feel like we've got the beginner level and advanced level of advice we can give here between us two. Uh, to start off with, though, Nathan, do you want to tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background with, with side projects, with what you do, just share your story. Yeah. So I got started building websites back when that meant, uh, I copied and pasted code and animated GIFs, not the funny <laughs> ones that we have now, but like the ones that you'd put on GeoCities back in the day. Um, so I've been doing that for, for quite a while and, and, uh, kind of did, did web design and logo design and all that all through high school. And then, um, was able to start actually making more meaningful money from it in college. So even later when I got a, a job working at a software design company, um, i still had all that experience doing side projects. So they've always been really natural to me. Um, but there were like side projects for me was always like freelancing. Um, and then later on it turned into, well, I, I tried to make a bunch of different side projects, but the ones that were <laughs> successful, um, were some iPhone apps and that, that was the first thing that actually made money. Um, so later when I quit my job to go back to freelancing, uh, I had like a little bit of a base income, you know, a thousand or $2,000 a month from, uh, the iPhone apps to kind of level out the freelancing income. Cause I think every designer knows that freelancing income kind of has some, a little bit of a roller coaster tendency to it. So the products were nice to even that out. And when did your books come into the mix? Because I know that you've written several books as well, including a book about writing books. I, I have indeed. <laughs> um, so the books came, uh, let's see, about a year after I quit my job. So this would be, quit the job in 2011. Uh, so 2012, I wrote a book called The App Design Handbook. And I wrote it just to, uh, I guess, be seen as an expert, you know, um, and build that reputation uh, in the iOS design community so that I could get more freelancing projects. But then the book started selling really well. And uh, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> let's, let's stop freelancing and, uh, just write more books. And so that's how I got into like blogging and building an audience and, um, that kind of thing. And that's when everything started to take off. So uh, I ended up writing a couple more books and then through that process, I started ConvertKit, which started as a side project. Um, and, and now uh, it's a company that employs like what 28 people yeah we're up to 30 now actually oh funny. man <laughs> yeah we <laughs> yeah. had a few new people recently didn't we <laughs> <laughs> yes so yeah the side projects kind of grow so what was your um 
the first time you made money from a side hustle? I feel like this would be a good place to start. Was it on purpose? Because I feel like my first income that I made from a side hustle, I never really intended to make money from it. Like that wasn't how it started. It just sort of turned out that way. So what was that? Well, mine was my t-shirt company. I just posted designs on Tumblr of lyrics that I, you know, lyric graphics that I'd made because I liked music and I liked design. So that seemed like a good way to spend my time. Uh, and then people started asking for like, they said they wanted them on a t-shirt. So I was like, oh, would you really pay for this? Like, yeah, yeah. So uh, I figured out how to print and how to then ship and yeah, sold, sold t-shirts through Tumblr. I didn't have a store or anything. People just had to email me with the order and then send me the money via PayPal. I'm surprised anyone trusted me, but it's great that they did. And that was how I first made money from something I was doing on the side. So then where were you shipping the shirts there? I was just what? shipping them through the post office. Like you I printed were... them myself. <laughs> yep, went down to the post office. That's very send them off. Artisanal. Handcrafted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These days people would be like, Oh, I just set something up on I don't even know what website. Spreadshirt or something. Yeah. yeah, one of those things and then I had a business overnight. I didn't want to invest any capital in mine was my approach to it. And it's still kind of my approach really to, to side projects. I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure about investing a lot of money in this without knowing that it's going to work. Right. And so that's why I like just printed to order and yeah, shipped them off myself because it didn't involve any upfront costs. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really invested capital in side projects. Um, and it's probably held a few of them back, but, um, mm. I've always invested a lot of time. Yeah. So like the first, the first side project that I ever tried was uh, WordPress themes. Um, and that wasn't successful. I remember thinking that, uh, the WordPress theme market was way too saturated. And now looking back, <laughs> it was the very like absolute beginning of people buying WordPress themes. And there were like four companies in existence in the entire world. And I thought it was saturated. Um, <laughs> and I just remember like, like following all of the blogs and everything when like the very first premium WordPress theme was ever sold. And I was like, oh, man, missed that, you know? Um, but, uh, so, you know, I made a few WordPress themes. I think I sold, I don't know, like a hundred dollars worth of WordPress themes or something, which at like 30 bucks each was three or four. <laughs> That still must have felt pretty exciting, though, if that was the first time, you know, to make money from something you'd done on the side. Like, the no one was paying you to create. You were just doing it off your own back, you know? You know, it actually wasn't that exciting. And maybe that's because I always come, like, I always come in with the intention of making money. Right. Um, and and this wasn't like I launched it and sold three or four right away. This was like I built out this whole thing and this whole website and you know, tried to promote. I had no idea what I was doing with marketing at the time. Um, but you know, after like substantial work and it being live for, you know, a few months and all of that, at that point I had sold four and I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't Dang, right. Yeah. To work out, you know, I calculate the hourly rate on that and it was, you know, probably 25 cents or something. Um, yeah. That would have been more disappointing than exciting with the, <laughs> yeah. if you did those calculations. <laughs> Sometimes you should just avoid those calculations. Yeah, you'd feel better about it. <laughs> so my first side project that actually made meaningful money um, was an app that I made for the iPad. And that was one, I had a bit of a different approach for this. And I think maybe this changes the expectations and, it, and maybe makes it more fun. 
Um, because for this, my expectations were, I want to learn how to code. I, you know, I, I knew HTML and CSS, but I wanted to learn how to program, you know, and store data in a database and get it back out again and like build a whole interface on the app. Um, and so my expectations were if I can finish this whole thing and I've learned skills, then that was like the bar for success. Um, and so I actually didn't have this plan to go about and make a bunch of money for it. So I made this app that uh, it was for the iPad and basically it was built for people who, um, had nonverbal autism or had a stroke and like lost the ability to speak. And it was a bunch of tiles on the iPad and each tile had a word or a short phrase, um, on it. And then like, you know, an image or an icon and you would tap on those and it had synthesized speech. And so it would speak for you. So like kids would take this, this app to school, um, and, uh, you know, use it to communicate, um, with the classmates or teachers or, and it was used in hospitals a lot. Um, and so there were, this is an industry that had been out there for a long time, but the, um, uh, it was on like this, it, it wasn't on the iPad before, um, the other, I guess, competing products did it on like these ruggedized PCs that cost thousands of dollars and the software cost thousands of dollars. So I think it was like $7,000 for, uh, this whole thing that you could buy. And the reason it was that much is cause that's what insurance would pay for. Like that was the maximum for that category. Right. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, so I was able to make this app for the iPad that replaced all of that. And so not only did I learn how to code, but it also started making money. And so that was a much more fulfilling experience. And I think partially cause my expectations were so different. I think that might be the key with side projects is to make sure that you are getting something else out of them as well as just the money, you know? Uh, I, I think that's why I would definitely consider my t-shirt business more of a labor of love than a money earner because it doesn't really earn that much and I don't sell that much. But I get really excited every time I do get an order just because it did start from that place of I want to make some really cool stuff that like represents my love of music and if other people want to buy them too, then that's great. So why not turn that into something more, right? Because at this point, um, you probably don't promote it super heavily. Um, nope. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's that labor of love. So what, like what uh, makes that decision for you of like, yeah, that's great. I don't know how many orders you get, you know, but if it's like one a week or uh, something like that, what keeps it in that category rather than the, oh, let's... Um, what if I could be selling 20 of these a week or 30 of these a week? For me, I think it's about the time that I want to put into it and like what I want to spend my time doing. I am found that I was much, much more interested in the designing side of having a t-shirt line than I am in the admin side of things. And it's mostly the admin side of things once, you know, it's up and running. Uh, and I don't know, I just, that's not how I'm interested in spending my time. Right. And so that's why now I'm, looking to move into digital products and work on that as a side project because that'll be much less admin for the you know delivery of them I still print to order because all my t-shirts are screen printed by hand and so you know it's a lot of effort every time an order comes through which is why I'm not too upset that there's not not that many of them per month you know but yeah that's why I want to move towards digital products because it'll cut out that part of selling things that I don't enjoy you know well so what's interesting to me there is that you could cut out that part of selling things that you don't enjoy by using one of these companies that we were kind of True. alluding to earlier. 
So but does then that I feel go like against the brand or is that, yeah. is that selling out? I, I think that I'm just really picky when it comes to the quality of t-shirts and things like that. And I feel like I would have to invest more money in it. Like, you know, even just like getting samples from all these places to pick the right one, you know, and most require you to, you know, get a bunch printed up front to then ship out to customers. And so I quite like the the handmade aspect of it and that that's, that's part of my line. So I guess I just have to be content with it being smaller. Right. I think what's interesting to me is that I have found myself in this position and, and you are as well, that um, as you start to build an audience and, and have more going on, then like there's lots of options for side projects. And so it's not like you're like, you're like, oh man, I wish I had a side project that could earn this money. Um, instead, you're you're thinking okay, which side project out of all these opportunities that I have is most interesting to me and which one do I want to pursue? Yes, um, exactly. We also actually have a question from our community that would tie in well here. Kate has asked, how do you know your side hustle or side project is ready to be sold? Like if it's an app or a physical product or a class, how do you move past working on it to putting it out there? What do you think? Ooh, um, well, I like to sell things as early as possible, but it kind of depends right. on the... <laughs> on the, uh, the goal for the side project. Cause some of these side projects are like, you know, with, with your t-shirts, it, the goal could have been, um, that you want to learn how to screen print. Mm. You know? And so if that was the goal, then you should make one design you should sell it as quickly as possible. But if you never sold a single t-shirt, but like five of your friends were like, Oh, that's awesome. I'd love to wear one or, you know, or they bought it then. The, and you learned how to screen print, then it would be successful. But if the goal is like, hey, I want to turn this side project, you know, like ConvertKit was a side project when it started. And my goal was to later turn it into like a real company. Um, not quite on the scale that it is now, but, um, you know, I wanted it to be able to pay multiple people's salaries and things like that. So in that case, it's really important that I start selling really early because we need to know, is the idea even going to work? Like it's a a software company is a big undertaking, even though it can be yeah. a side project. And so I'd kind of go back to like, what's the goal? Is it to learn to program from an iPhone app? Cause then it doesn't really matter when you start selling it. Um, but I will say that the sooner you start selling it, um, the better feedback you'll get and the more you'll learn. That's a really good point. I think another example I can think of here would be my YouTube channel as a side project that started without any intention whatsoever of making money like I didn't have ads on my videos for the first two years I think mm -hmm. but that was very minimal AdSense you know but then eventually emails started coming in of companies that wanted to sponsor things you know and then I had to think like am I ready to be to be making money from this like am I ready to earn from this side project is my audience in the right state you know do I feel like I know enough about it to to value myself and to know how much to charge this company that wants to sponsor something so that I'm not, you know, selling myself short or something. And so I had to do a lot of research in that stage that I hadn't really considered, you know, when I started my channel. So that was interesting. Yeah. And so you and I are pretty different there because I like unabashedly sell from the beginning <laughs> and, and I like, as a kid, I, you know, basically set out to, get good at making money. And so that's yeah. been the skill that I've been practicing for a very long time. And so I pursue all these creative things, you know, design and programming and, you know, writing and everything else. Um, both cause I really enjoy it, but as a, as a vehicle for 
you know, increasing my earning power. Um, and so it just, it brings a bit of a different perspective because I, you know, um, in your case, I would have monetized the YouTube channel a lot earlier, but there can be big benefits. Cause like, I also see people, you know, we both see a lot of people building audiences. That's the worlds that we hang out in. And we definitely see people who like try to monetize far too early. And like, I see this with people building email lists where they build the list to, I don't know, maybe 500 people or something. And then they're building this amazingly complicated automated funnel on the back end to like pitch this product and then upsell to that course and then do this other thing. And I always say like, if you just put like that effort into growing your, growing your audience, you know, growing your YouTube channel, growing your email list, you know, writing more content and sharing it out there, then you'd get much better results. So you can definitely monetize too early. Well, I don't know that you can monetize too early as Maybe like, it's more about where you're putting your focus. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Cause if you, if you said like, Hey, I built this YouTube channel to 500 subscribers and I also came out with this and then I came out with this ebook on design and then I went back and put all of my focus for the next year on growing the audience and some, you know, that, that ebook started or that course started selling, you know, first two copies a week or one copy a week and then like gradually went up from there. I think that would be a great use of time. But if you instead put so much of that effort, like if you got those first a few hundred subscribers and then you were all about like, I'm going to sell them this product and then I'm going to sell them this other product. Then it's like, yeah, you should change that focus back onto growing the audience. Cause if you got that up to 10,000 people or 5,000 people, even, um, you'd have much better results. Yeah, I think there is a balance of like, I feel like to sell something, you also need to be giving something away, whether that's content through, you know, your content marketing or whatever, or maybe it's just a good deal on the product or something. I don't know. But I think that people are more receptive to buying from you when they've already been getting stuff from you for free. Yeah, for sure. How do you think any advice for getting past feeling like a pushy salesman? I don't know, because you say you're like focused on earning money from your side projects, but no one, I don't think, would think of you as, oh, Nathan, he's always trying to sell me something, you know? So what advice do you have for selling without, I don't know, coming across like you're selling all the time and like, you know, you're that, that annoying car salesman who's bugging you all the time in the car yard? Yeah, so I, I think one of my favorite ways to do this, and it actually fits pretty well, um, for this podcast is to wrap everything in really fantastic design Mm -hmm. and no one feels like they're being oversold or pitched really hard or something like that when everything's really well designed. And so, um, I do that all the time where, or actually in the early days of selling eBooks, there's kind of two different worlds online. Um, or maybe in the digital product space. And one of them is like this direct response, um, internet marketing community. And they're really good at sales and they're really salesy and they use great copywriting and that kind of thing to write these long form detailed sales pages. And they tend to have that. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's that sleazy internet marketing look. Um, yep. it's a section of the internet that you probably don't need to spend time in. <laughs> But you might accidentally end up there one day, but not. Yeah, exactly. You'll click through on some Facebook ad about how to make a million dollars and, you know, 
just be this dangerous rabbit hole. Um, but those techniques of these long form sales pages that are really well written, um, those techniques work really, really well. And people do them for a reason. Um, even though they look, you know, maybe somewhat sleazy. And so what I did is I took those copywriting techniques and those design techniques of having these long pages that overcome every objection. And I just used the same principles, but packaged it in fantastic design. And everyone thought it was this amazing new thing. And it was like, no, the same ideas apply of like, Hey, you should buy this product. Now let me spend the next, you know, 10,000 vertical pixels, um, overcoming every objection and explaining why and all that. Um, and it's all the same sales techniques, but because it looked good, no one feels like that. Um, no one feels like, you know, it's just super salesy and they're just being sold to. And so, you know, the better design you put on everything, the higher quality you make your work, um, the more you can ask for the sale and feel really good about it. I love that. And, you know, I'm a designer, so I'm always going to be standing up for the value <laughs> yes. of design. But yeah, that's a real world example of why design is so important. When everyone, I mean, with these sales pages for my first three books, they got copied so much, which right. <laughs> I'm quite happy with. Like, you know, I, I don't care. Imitation is the sincerest stuff. form of flattery after all, right? <laughs> yeah. And people who would have made some pretty ugly sales pages copied mine and, you know, it was pretty good. <laughs> um, you made I the internet like it, a better place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, really, the only thing that was remarkable about it was combining these two things. And so as a, as a designer, I try to play in different worlds. Um, and so I try to think, okay, what... What's a technique that's really common in one industry um, that we can bring to the core industry that we want to uh, um, actually do business in? And so whether it's like direct response copywriting into the design world um, or like one of my favorite places to go get uh, design inspiration. So instead of like going to some, I don't know, are those like CSS gallery websites even still a thing? Oh, yeah, there's plenty of them. Okay. (laughs) Like five years ago, you know, that was, you would just go scroll through or like smashing magazine would have these like, you know, 50 inspirational websites. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so instead of going to those sites for inspiration, I like to go to clothing stores because I feel like on their tags and, you know, uh, on their designs and everything else, they just have such unique typography and textures and everything else. And so really, if you just go somewhere else, like if you go to different markets for your inspiration, then um, you'll come up with what everyone feels like is really unique stuff. Um, And it won't seem like, you know, ripping things off from uh, like some website in a CSS gallery. I love that. I feel like that advice can apply just to design in general with coming up with ideas, you know, leave, leave your bubble, leave your box. So once, once you've got this epic landing page then with it's great copy and, you know, long form, taking all these techniques from the sleazy car salespeople, but putting good design on it. <laughs> yes. What do you, like, what is your best advice for, for sharing that and like getting people's eyes on it? I suppose we've had both Todd and Taryn from our community ask about this, like how to spread the word about your side gig besides just social media. Right. Well, I think it goes back to a lot of what you were talking about earlier of, of building that audience. And so inside of, this has been like my personal motto for years and it's become, I guess, somewhat of a 
convert kit motto of teach everything, you know, and cause you're all, it's always this hard thing. If you make this thing, it's like, how do I get people to pay attention to it? And really you just look and, and think, okay, the people that I want to buy this thing, what is it that they want to know? And that could be like, okay, people who want to buy email marketing software for their blog probably want to know how to grow their audience. So let's teach them that even all the way to, um, like with your t-shirts, you know, other designers want to buy them. So if you teach people design and then also have these shirts, um, then that will get attention to it, right? Cause through the education that, um, you're going to get, you're going to get all this attention. Um, and so I've always, I've always applied that concept of teaching as like the best way to get attention for it, for anything. And so it becomes super helpful when like as a designer, I'm trying to sell to designers. Um, because like when I had my first book coming out, uh, on designing iOS applications, I did design tutorials on like, this is how I design the landing page. This is how I design yeah, nice. this app. This is how like just everything. Cause I use design all the way throughout, um, to create the product. And so I just, uh, I guess the other kind of motto or mantra that we talk about, or one of them at ConvertKit is work in public. And so it's like sharing the process of the work that you create. And so instead of just laying out an ebook and being like, yep, I designed that ebook. I would do a blog post or a YouTube video about the entire process and why I chose this program over InDesign and, and the whole process. And a bunch of designers would read that post or watch that video. And then some small portion would be like, Oh, I also have to design an iOS app for work like in the next few months. So I should buy this book. Um, and so that ends up being really, really effective, especially as you get those people to join your audience. Yeah, I love that because all that type of content, teaching what you know or any sort of teaching online is evergreen, right? There's always going to be people wanting to know why this app over this one and, you know, how to lay it in ebook and things like that. So not only can it help you sell your product to your current audience, but it's a great way to bring in new audience members as well. Yeah. Do you ever have the problem as you're making like design tutorials that you don't know what to make them? You know the concept that you want to teach, but you don't have the example or like yes all the time <laughs> yeah. i'm like i need a project to work on for this to right. show this specific you know task <laughs> yeah and so if you just make tutorials about like what you did this week or this is how i designed the sales page for the book you know yeah um then it gives you that project and so because i ran into that so often of like i don't even know you know, I'm going to teach you how to use layers in Photoshop really well, but I need a project to do that with. So now I'm going to like make up this project, you know? Um, and so if instead you just like do your work in public and like teach through whatever you need to create that week, um, it makes it so much easier. I love that. That's something I'm going to try doing. Um, so my first digital product that I'm going to bring out is a font. I've purchased this font making course and I'm excited to dive in and get learning Glyph, I think it's called, which is the font making software that uh -huh. the tutorial teaches. So when I come to selling that, I'm definitely going to be making a video about my process of creating the font, um, possibly do some tutorials like typography layouts using my font, you know, things like that. That's that's my plan for, for trying to sell this thing. You don't really 
start with easy side projects, do you? No, I do not. I like to make challenges for myself. <laughs> so what's the goal for, for the side project? Well, I think I feel like I want to to sell something to my audience that is useful for them. And a lot of them have been asking for a font, to be honest, because I do a lot of handwritten titles in my videos. And personally, I just want to learn how to make one as well. So there's a, there's a bit of both. Um, I want to be able to have a project, a product for sale rather, that is a little bit less of a barrier to entry than ordering a print or a t-shirt that I have in my online store. So if it's a font and they want to support my content because it is all ad free and I don't really make money from it any other way, they can go purchase the font super easy. Just click purchase and it'll download to their computer without me having to go to the post office. Right. So I guess that's the goal with it. <laughs> Saving the trip to the post office is <laughs> Yes, I just don't like going to the post office. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really good to, to establish like what those goals are from the beginning. Yeah. Right. Because if you walked out of this and like 10 people bought the font, would it be a success? I think I need to, to set some numbers aside. Maybe when, once I work out how long it's going to take me to, to complete this, but it's something that I, I was thinking of it as just a thing that will be available over time. But I think I really do want to try do a proper launch for it because I've not really done that before. I've mostly just quietly put something up for sale and then the link's been there and every now and then someone has found it, you know? So I don't know, any advice for, for launching a product? I know you, I've seen a conference talk from you about uh, pricing packages, right? Where you offer three different versions of the thing. Can you sum that up quickly in a, in a way without visuals? <laughs> <laughs> the without visuals thing makes it, makes it hard. Um, but before yeah. we get to that, um, I would just, I think the more you get clear on like what the goal is, because if I were in your position, I would feel like, um, in order for this project to be a success, I would need to have successfully like made a font and learned how to do that and then made like a sale from it. Yeah. Right. Cause my goal, this would be similar to like my iPhone apps back in the day of like, even if no one bought it or, you know, I would want like one person to buy it to make sure that like. I don't know, the app store worked or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it's like, look, I learned how to program an iPhone app. Um, and I think out of all the designers that I know, very few have actually put in the work to know how to create their own font. And so for me, the side project would be a success based on, you know, if you completed the font and it was actually good and some number and of people And it actually worked, bought. yep. <laughs> yep. Like you can type a sentence in it. <laughs> Yeah. Now the second goal that I think makes a lot of sense for this is, uh, is to do a launch for it, you know, to have, yeah. uh, cause launching products is a skill and some people are good at it and some people are, are terrible at it, but it's a skill that can be learned over time. And there's really a lot that goes into that. We, we could probably do an entire podcast episode on, or many on launching products, but kind of what you're alluding to with your question was like pricing and packaging. And so this is something that I played around with a lot on my eBooks, um, was having multiple price tiers, uh, for a book or a course. Cause what you'll find is that, um, different people have different price thresholds of what they're able to, what they're able or willing to pay. So if we take a book, um, let's say we have a book and we're teaching people to design that skill is worth quite a bit. Like if you think about, oh, I work as a designer and, um, 
you know, I could make this extra income in my day job if I pick up, well, you learned how to code this year. I did. Like that, <laughs> you know, um, your profit sharing bonus from this year reflected your new skills and learning to code. My newfound coding skills. Yep. <laughs> yes. Um, right. And so if you picked up a book, uh, that helped you do that, you know, and that book was priced at 20 or $50 or somewhere in there, like you definitely got your money's worth. Yeah. And so I think people need to take into account what, what the end result of learning the thing that they're teaching would be, or what's, what's the real end result or, or what's the real value of this product that you're selling? Is it like, ah, here's a $5 font or is it like, Hey, this font is going to save you a ton of time in creating this hand lettered look that you really need to do in every one of your videos every week or, you know, whatever that is. And so charge accordingly. And then you need to establish that, okay, people are going to be willing to pay different amounts. So it's going to be worth more to some people than others. And different people have like different spending abilities. So uh, if I'm selling, like with my books, I, at the extreme ends, I would sell a book for $39 and then a full course for 250 And the full course is not targeted at like the, po at the poor freelancer who was just trying to get off the ground. Yeah. It was targeted at the person who ran a design team with four designers and had a company credit card and, you know, only needed to provide like the reasons for a purchase or like get approval for a purchase if it was over $500. And so when you see those two extremes, then you realize, Oh, I can make different versions of the product for different ones. So with this font, it's like, okay, well, what do you, what are you thinking of selling the font for? Well, I don't know yet. I needed my market research on it, but I'm thinking probably around like the $15 mark is where I've seen similar, like hand lettered mm -hmm. fonts from people who like have an audience, you know? Yeah, so if you had that version for $15, um, then I would try to think about, okay, what's the version of it that you can create um, that would be worth paying somewhere between two and three times that? So let's say $50. Mm. And so you could buy just the font for $15, or you could buy the deluxe edition, and that would be the font, and then videos on um, how to use it, Uh, how to make the most of it all, you know, um, and how to get Maybe the templates or something, yeah. some templates. Um, yeah, all of that and charge $50 for that. And so then you're going to have some people who are like, you know what, I can watch your free video. Um, and some of your examples on your YouTube channel of you using the font and like, that's good enough for me. So 15 bucks, um, that's what it is. And then someone else is going to be like $50 is nothing. I'm going to put it on the company credit card anyway. Um, And like, I value my time. And so if spending that $50 saves me an hour of time, you know, then, uh, then it's worth spending. And so you, you, with those two packages, you'll end up making significantly more than if you would only sold the font for $15. So that's the idea behind the tiered packaging. And it, my guess is in this, on this project, it would double your revenue. That sounds so smart. Yeah. I need to definitely think about about doing this rather than just the quiet, like mm, list it for sale and see what happens technique. Cause I feel like that's not doing justice for it. You know, like I don't, I don't sell vocally a lot, so why not, you know, put all my eggs in this basket and, and try it out. Yeah. And I think it'll be a new skill that you learn. And so if yeah, you walk totally. out away from this project with, Ooh, now I know how to launch things and I know how to design a font, then 
um, I don't know. It's like two for the price of one on a side project. It's great. Now I know not how to launch something because that didn't work very well. So let's try something different next time. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There is lots of trial and error, but I'm pretty confident that this one's going to work out. I hope so. Anyway, we'll see. That's, that's next month's focus to, to start working on that. (laughs) We have a question from Bernie in the community about the legalities of earning money through a side project, because this is something that I didn't really think about back when I was selling t-shirts through Tumblr. I will confess now, just because I don't think the New Zealand government is listening, that I did not declare that income on my tax return. <laughs> but he's, he's asked um, and said that this is probably going to be subjective depending on the country. Obviously, you're in the US, I have earned money in New Zealand and in the UK, but what do we do when the side project starts earning money? Do you create a company straight away or, you know, it can be a bit complex to have a full-time job and then also declare that additional income on the side. So it's kind of a barrier for some people. What did you do when you first started making money from side projects? Yeah. So I don't know how it is in other countries, but in the U S if you, you have a business just by starting to do business. So you don't have to formally create anything. Um, you just end up immediately being what's called a sole proprietor. And that Mm -hmm. is a form of, business. It's not a corporation, um, or a company, but you're, you know, you're able to just start doing business. So you don't ever have to file any paperwork or do anything, anything formal like that. You know, if you're getting, um, paid and the checks are coming to, you know, some company name, that's not you, then at least in the U S you'd need to file, um, what's called a doing business as, or an assumed business name. And that's where it's just like, Hey, um, you know, something or other creative studios is also, it's just Nathan. <laughs> like right. it's just, yeah. it's a, just a document. Just one dude. Two yeah. together. And really it's just to make the bank happy. So you can, so they don't think that you're depositing some random person's check. Um, and so at least in the U S that, that costs like a hundred bucks to file and you do it once and, and that's set. And I, I've done a few of those. Um, but really you just start doing business now in the U S the, the side that will get you in trouble, um, is the tax side of it. Mm. And so really you just need to report that income on your taxes and you're good. So long as you're paying taxes on the money coming in, like the IRS is going to be totally happy or whatever tax authority in your, in your country. Um, now if you want to like optimize it and have, uh, like pay the least amount of taxes on that money and deduct all of the, uh, you know, tax deductions and exemptions that you're allowed and all of that. Then it starts to get a little more complicated, but, um, if it's not making very much money, then it's going to be really simple and no one's really going to care. The mistake that people make is they start this little thing and they're like, ah, it's not even going to be anything. And then maybe they make $50,000 a year from their main job and they end up making, you know what, this little thing that was going to be a few hundred dollars on the side ends up being like $10,000 in income that year. And then they, they get to the end of the year and they're surprised by that they actually have to pay taxes uh, above what was withheld out of their paycheck. And that's, you know, that gets frustrating because you're like, oh, I need to pay $3,000 on top of everything that was withheld out of my paycheck. And that, you know, is usually a shock because I know as a young freelancer, I didn't have $3,000 to spare. 
yeah, that money tends to get, you know, it disappears pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. So just whatever money on the side, set aside like 30% of it um, for taxes and then everything else should be fine. That's good advice. I think what I learned from when I did start declaring things was that it was much simpler than I thought it was going to be. Like it really wasn't a big deal. I just had to fill out an extra form on, you know, the tax return, uh, an extra field, I mean. So it's really easy to declare and I think it's better to just start doing it straight away. And then you have no chance of getting in trouble later. Um, I have an accountant now who can advise me on what I can expense and things like that, but I've found that both the New Zealand and the UK government, so maybe it's where you live as well, there's lots of information online about what you like, how to declare stuff, how to claim expenses. So I don't think there's really any excuse these days for, for not doing things properly. I think it's very easy to. Yeah, and just in the same way that like you and I Google things all the time as to how do I do this in CSS or how yeah. do I do that in JavaScript or what's the keyboard shortcut for this in Sketch, you know? Like you can do the same thing for tax stuff. Um, for all these basic things, it's like, oh, am I allowed to, I'm going on this trip, am I allowed to expense it? And you'll come across an article, it's like, well, you're allowed to expense the part that's actually for work, but if like the vacation part of it, you're not, you know. And it's actually pretty straightforward and um, definitely get, you know, once the numbers get more significant, work with a tax person. But in the early days, you know, you can Google the answers and use, you know, basic judgment. And um, I'm also not like the strictest rule follower. I always think through, okay, <laughs> what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, this drives uh, a few of my coworkers crazy. Um, <laughs> just one, just Ashley, uh, who's our director <laughs> of operations. But, you know, I always think through like, okay, what if we're, um, going to jump through all of these hoops that sometimes get set up in the government. Um, like, and if we decide to not jump through that particular hoop, what's the worst thing that could happen? And when we go all the way through, if it's like, okay, we could end up getting a tiny bit in fines, then we might decide not to do that. Um, and that's kind of the, like, look, we're paying all of our taxes to as all the correct States as best we can. Um, but we're, you know, I'm not going to, distract from like serving our customers or, you know, the creative endeavors that need to be done just to follow the exact letter of the law. Um, and who knows, it might get me in trouble at some point, but for the most part, it's pretty, uh, pretty straightforward and I don't waste a lot of time on it. I don't think anyone who works for whatever the U S tax department listens to the podcast. So I Hopefully think you're safe, <laughs> but <laughs> who knows? Well, I think we're about, ready to wrap up here thanks for sharing your advice so far is there any last pieces of advice you can give to someone who is just starting out on this making money from something on the side journey yeah i guess two things kind of stand out to me the first one would be to actually make products um i guess that you should actually make products because for the longest time i felt like there was this huge leap between doing like design as a service and I was like, oh man, I wish I could, I wish I could make a product. That would be so cool. And you know, people could buy it when I was sleeping and that would be amazing. Um, and it was like this giant leap to make instead of, you know, thinking about it more the way that I think about it now or the way you're thinking about it of like, oh, well, I, I would use this font. And so I should, I should make it and sell it to other people as well. Or, you know, like this idea of selling your byproducts or like I learned this thing. So let's teach it to people. Um, 
And so I wish that I would like lower the mental barrier, um, to making products and just feel free to get something out there. Um, and then the other thing is probably feeling good about charging from them or charging for them from the beginning. Cause I think that what you're charging for is going to, uh, um, it's going to force you to do higher quality work because you're going to be like, Oh, I, I can't charge for this, but it's sloppy, you know, to like raise your own bar. Right. Um, so those are kind of the two things I would think about, but like side projects are wonderful. That's how, uh, that's how I've started everything meaningful pretty much that I've ever worked on. And, uh, you know, that's why we encourage them, you know, for everyone at ConvertKit and, uh, highly recommend it. I'm excited to see where your side projects go. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) When when is the font going to come out? Hopefully by the end of November, it will be live. Okay. Should I set my calendar to that or is that a If you are listening to this episode past November, (laughs) hopefully you can go to charliemarie.com and you'll find my font there. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) I sound really sure about that, don't I? (laughs) Yeah. You still have like a month and a half, so. No, yeah, it's exactly. Hours. It's fine. There's plenty of time. <laughs> well, thank you, Nathan. I, I definitely feel inspired by this and I'm excited to, to try out this whole launching a product idea and see how that goes. Is there anything you want to want to plug or want to direct people to? Where can people go to find out more about you and what you're all about? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I blog at NathanBerry.com. That's probably the best thing. Oh, you could check out YouTube.com slash NathanBerry. There we go. Yes, we didn't mention that Nathan has a vlog. So if you're like me and like watching other entrepreneurial types vlog, then check out Nathan's channel. That'll be linked in the show notes. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Hope you all enjoyed listening to this discussion. And if you'd like more episodes of Design Life, you can find them at designlife.fm. And make sure you join our community as well. That's at designlife.fm slash community. And in there we have great discussions about topics just like this on a daily basis and it's also the best place where you can ask questions to be included in the episode as well so hopefully see you in there thanks for listening and see you next week bye